That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, this is Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat brought to you by Newsweek. All right, I'll admit it. I wasn't the biggest football fan. We call it soccer here growing up. But the more I watch some games, the more excited I am about the sport. That's why I was so excited to travel to Doha, Qatar to meet with Nasser Al-Qatar, the CEO of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. What a great job he has. I had a really good sit down with him where we discussed what fans can expect at the FIFA World Cup, which will take place later this year. Qatar is the first Arab state to host the FIFA World Cup. Take a listen to this podcast to learn more about what it means for Qatar to host this event, what fans can expect both in the incredible stadiums that were built and all around Doha. I was also able to tour Stadium 974, a stadium built from shipping containers, which can be taken apart and sent elsewhere for another event. Cool idea, cool stadium, and boy, I hope I get to go to the World Cup. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I'm excited to be here in Doha, Qatar, to talk about the World Cup that's coming up. Thank you for joining me very much. Let's start with the history of getting the World Cup. This was not easy, a um, lot of competition. Tell me how Qatar managed to win this important bid. Well, this journey started 12 years ago. I joined the bid in May of 2009. I think the bid officially um, was initiated in March of 2009. And obviously, like you said, there was a lot of competition. It was fierce competition, very established countries, huge infrastructure, sports infrastructure, um, Australia, US, Japan, South Korea. We knew it was gonna be tough. Um, we knew that we had a lot of challenges, the size of the country. Typically the World Cup is played in uh, June and July, very hot here. Um, so we did a, you know, we ran an exercise of how we can really take those challenges and make them into, into positives and strengths. And we saw that size actually will work in, you know, will be an advantage and will work um, in our favor because all the fans will be in one place. Really goes a long way into creating more of an atmosphere, more of a, a festive environment. And so we focused on that. And then w with the heat, I mean, we've come up with really revolutionary outdoor cooling technology. Um, however, FIFA later said that no, they, they saw that this could be moved to the winter and make it a lot more comfortable for the fans to enjoy areas outside of the stadium in, in nice weather. So. The fact that it's uh, in the World Cup in the Middle East, the World Cup is in the Middle East for the very first time was also a, a big plus for the international football community. It's been all over the world. It's been in South America, Central America, the US, Africa. So really the Middle East was the last region where the World Cup wasn't held. And I think that was probably the key and the crucial point of Qatar winning the rights. We put on a very good bid. We knew that we had to really, really impress on the strengths um, what makes this World Cup great. So we've put in a really good bid and we traveled around the world and really told told everyone the story of our bid. I think, you know, I think genuinely we felt that it was time and I think the world also genuinely felt that, you know, the time is now for the World Cup. 
And if we talk about some of the advantages, I read somewhere today that a really ambitious fan could see not only one game or two, but maybe even four. Is that true? If the fan is very ambitious, yes. They can technically see four games a day. We think that most fans that want to see more than one will probably see two matches a day. So match one and three, one and four, two and four. You know, They'll have a gap um, between match and match. And when we talk about revolutionary technology, the stadium that we're sitting next to, shipping containers. First of all, it's an unbelievably cool-looking stadium. But I also understand it could be taken apart and used at a later date. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, uh, Stadium 974, honestly, is a, is a hit, and it's a favorite of many fans, many people that I've seen. It. It's, it's, it's on the water overlooking the, s the skyline of the city. It's industrial. It's, it's very street, edgy, it's made out of containers, so you've got this really nice um, but fun industrial look. And the main attribute of the stadium is it can com be completely dismantled and reassembled in another location. And this was a pledge that we made to FIFA that the stadium will be reassembled in a country that needs to, to improve and develop their sporting infrastructure. But after seeing the stadium, after, you know, you know, hosting a, a few matches here during our test event, the, the Arab Cup, it would be heartbreaking because it's such a beautiful stadium and has such a good vibe. That's a great landmark. Let's talk about the Arab Cup. Did, were there lessons learned that you could now apply to the World Cup? Uh, definitely, and it was, um, you know, typically before a World Cup, a Confederations Cup of eight teams, typically played in four stadiums, is the test event of, of the host country. We were lucky to have an Arab Cup which had 16 teams which were played in six stadiums. So, you know, we were able to test the majority of our stadiums, have a lot of fans here, and really test our transportation model, our, our operational models. Of course, there's a lot of issues that we need to take care of, but they're minor. So, in the grand scheme of things, we're very comfortable. Um, the Arab Cup has made the entire team more confident. And, we, you know, we feel good. We're in a good place. Let's talk about the fans. So, I'm an observant Jew. People may be surprised to hear me say that I feel very, very welcome in Qatar. Um, before I worked at the White House, I would have been skeptical at that. So let's clear the air about that. But also, are fans that are questioning, for example, are Israelis welcome here? The LGBTQ community, are they welcome here? What do you say to the fan base as far as who should come to the World Cup here? We've uh, made, it a, made it a pledge. Um, to FIFA and the international community that any fan that wants to come and attend the World Cup is welcome. We've also made it clear that Qatar is s second safest or first safest country in the world now, with Doha being the second safest city in the world. And this is something that you know we're quite proud of. We um, want to assure fans that Qatar is a very safe country and everybody that's going to be here, we um, give them a pledge that they will feel safe and secure here. I read about accusations in terms of human rights. Now, Qatar is a young country. I think over the last 10 years, you've made significant strides toward uh, worker rights. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, for since we won the World Cup, uh, we realized that this is a really good opportunity for us to be able to address a social, um, human slash economic issue. And as you know, Qatar as a country is, is um, pretty much half the population is blue-collar workers. And, you know, they've built the country. And basically we realized that, you know, with, with a lot of workers here and with many companies, um, 
employing workers here that some of their rights might have been infringed on. And we want to take this opportunity to, to enshrine their to enshrine their, enshrine their um, rights into legislation. And this is something that you know has been taken taking place over the past 10 years. Now we have legislation that has um, you know protects their rights in terms of uh, the quality of their accommodation, ensures that they get paid minimum wage. Um, these are just some things um, you know that have been implemented over the 10 years. And thankfully that the World Cup came here and really you know shone the light on this for us to, to really be able to accelerate that progress. And the fact that this is the first World Cup in the Middle East, it, to me, it seems it's not just about Qatar, it's about the GCC and even the wider Middle East. Can you tell me the impact that you think having the World Cup here is going to have on development, tourism, um, social construct all over the, the Middle East? I think it's a it's definitely a moment, a moment of pride for the Middle East, and I think that they feel that they'll have an opportunity to shine and also to reflect what the Middle East is really about. Nobody's under any um, illusion that the perception of the Middle East isn't quite accurate all over the world, and I think people see it as a real opportunity. And I think also it's an opportunity for the Middle East, who will be interacting with people from all over the world, also to have an opportunity to see um, different cultures in Qatar, um, so I think it'll, it'll go a long way in, in, in building people's pride um, during the World Cup year. In terms of, the, in terms of Qatar, the, the developmental uh, aspects are quite clear. Infrastructure has been accelerated. Um, the complete metro network has been put in place before it was due in 2030, but because of the World Cup, it was accelerated to 2022 or before 2022. All the major road infrastructure is, is 95% complete at least the infrastructure that's required for the World Cup. So the developmental uh, aspects of it are clear. And, you know, one thing we're confident of is it's going to, it's going to boost the tourism after the World Cup. Uh, every time I come here, I see new buildings. It's a beautiful city. The light in the air, even with the high towers, you still see the sky. You still don't feel overpowered. Is it ready to accept how many fans are going to be here? We're expecting between 1.2 and 1.5 million fans um, in the duration of the World Cup, in the 28 days. And between now and when it starts, um, you'll be ready? We will be ready. When are we opening the first kosher pizza shop and which stadium do we put it in? You let me know which stadium looks good to you <laughs> and we'll make sure we have it. Probably 974. All right, I agree. It's a nice stadium. <laughs> um, what's your message to the world about uh, why they should come to the World Cup? Why Doha? What Doha has to offer? We would like people to come, first of all, to visit our country. We want them to see Qatar and the region and to really experience it, experience the hospitality, experience food that they maybe never experienced before, and really find you know, a World Cup that's unique in, in all senses. I mean, you go to Brazil, you get an ethnic Brazilian um, experience. You go to Russia, you really feel a Russian experience. Here they'll feel a Middle Eastern experience. So it's not just Qatar, it's Qatar, it's the GCC, it's the wider Middle East. And there's something, the weather here at that time is absolutely beautiful. So if, if the fans live in a cold country, um, November, December is obviously gonna be very cold. We invite them here to, to enjoy the weather, beautiful seas, beautiful uh, beaches, and uh, you know, on top of that great, great football or, or great soccer. So we're all hoping that we're in the end of COVID, but nobody knows where we keep predicting it. And we had Omicron, although thankfully it seems Omicron had much less of an impact and perhaps even a positive impact in terms of its effect. 
do you, it's hard to predict, it's still a while, a while away, but if COVID is still here, what kind of protocols do you have in place for the fans to protect them and, and the players? So the good thing is uh, Qatar was the leading country in terms of organizing uh, a tournament or football matches with the returning of fans. We did it at smaller capacities, first 30%, then 50%, and we tested our different uh, COVID protocols, which are now in place. And actually, these protocols are shared with different uh, sports governing bodies, and they, they implement a lot of them based on what we've learned. We obviously hope that uh, COVID will be behind us. I don't think, I mean, COVID will be completely behind us, but I believe that the world, and with the trend and everything that we hear from, from research and from the scientists, is that COVID will still exist, but um, the world will be functioning almost at normal. Until I worked at the White House, I never paid attention to politics. Now I can't never pay attention to politics. I always ask political questions. How much of an impact, if at all, did the blockade have? And did it slow you down? Were you able to keep up? You're almost going to be ready anyway, so in the end, I guess it, it worked out for you. But tell me about the blockade. Look, I think it's more than just worked out for us. I think the blockade was an opportunity for, for Qatar. You know, supply chains are usually um, something you get used to. So we get supplies from a certain place, from a certain supplier, and we're happy with the supplier, and we're getting our supplies. With the blockade, people automatically automatically felt that our supply chain is going to get cut and a lot of issues are going to arise. We're not going to be able to complete stadiums in time, um, infrastructure and so forth. Actually, what happened is all the companies and all the traders went to find new supply chains. And what they found was better quality, cheaper. And we all of a sudden started to see new products in our supermarkets. And similarly with, with the construction sites, people started to find um, cheaper material from around the world. And I think that, I mean, that was something that nobody expected, that actually had a very positive effect. How much um, effort was put into fan experience? What are the kinds of things that fans can be excited about when they get here? Well, obviously, there's no uh, World Cup with, without great football, great games, and that's probably going to be you know, the main reason for people being here, but also no World Cup um, is there with, without a FIFA fan fest, and that's usually an important place that, that fans like to go to. We also have you know, a beautiful promenade here, we call it the Corniche, which is going to be activated for fans with uh, food outlets, act entertainment, activities, music, and that's going to attract a lot of fans. Um, the nice thing is here, most of the fans' accommodation is going to be close to the Corniche or to the Fan Fest or the Old Souk, and these are all major points of, of interest for people. So they'll be able to walk down from their hotel room or their apartment and just be able to walk to all these places and really enjoy it. Obviously the beaches, um, people are going to enjoy the sun, enjoy the temperate uh, water, and uh, there will be a lot of entertainment for them here as well, concerts, uh, music. And we feel that there's a nice mix of, of opportunities for the fans. Now let's talk about alcohol for a minute. So culturally, Qataris don't drink alcohol religiously too, I suppose. Soccer fans, football fans, uh, to some it's very important. What can they expect in terms of alcohol? Well, what many people know is that alcohol is available here, and what many people don't know is that alcohol is legal and available here in Qatar. But like you said, it's not part of our culture. But you know, we're, we're hospitable. We've, Qatar has been a hub for expatriate communities for a long time, and they're catered to. Everyone has their own beliefs, everybody has their own norms, and people live here freely. And so alcohol is available. We understand that there are some restrictions to it, and therefore, we're creating specific zones where we're making it more readily available for the fans that, that do come here. And we believe that fans aren't going to face any problems. 
so you know it's it's we like to put that out there for fans to know and transportation so uh Qatar Airways I'm a big fan one of the best airlines around once they land though um getting to the hotel getting from the hotel to these uh sites that you have ready getting to the games between games if they're ambitious how well uh, designed is that uh, we've run countless models so I mean even Qatar Airways even uh, um, Hamad International Airport which is our main airport because we're going to be activating the old airport as well, Doha International Airport. So everything is changing. The frequency of flights, working with partner airlines, um, all these things have been taken into account to um, receive the fans for the World Cup. Obviously the big influx is at the beginning and you know as the tournament goes by and teams start to get eliminated, less fans are in the country and there's less stress on the transport um, infrastructure on the airport as well. But specifically for the beginning and for the group stages, there's a lot of work that's being put in place by Qatar Airways, by the airport, uh, the two airports now, to increase the frequency and accept a lot more people into the country. So because Qatar is very active in the humanitarian right. space around the world, will the fact that you're hosting the World Cup allow Qatar to be even more active in the humanitarian space? Will you be able to use anything from the World Cup elsewhere around the world, for example, the 974 Stadium, um, are there other benefits that yeah, others yeah, will, will gain from hosting the World Cup? Yeah, basically, like you mentioned, Qatar has a lot of uh, history uh, in uh, providing aid, humanitarian aid around the world. And I think the World Cup will really shine a light on Qatar and it will put um, Qatar in a, um, in a spotlight that people will, will see and understand Qatar. I think also what was important is Qatar wanted to make sure that the World Cup has, has a benefit to the world, whether it's on infrastructure like 974 Stadium being assembled in another country, but also um, Generation Amazing, which is a football program that anybody can adopt anywhere around the world. And it's basically a program for social development. And you, we wanted to contribute to that as a, as a World Cup organization is to say, what can we do for the state of Qatar that's related to football, but is also charitable and provides some sort of need in, in communities around the world. And we've, I think we have something close to 500, 600,000 benefactors of this program. And it basically goes into areas of how to teach communities to be more sustainable in terms of um, environmentally sustainable, um, uh, integration um, into societies, um, building self-esteem and leadership skills through football. So these programs are specifically designed for these developmental uh, um, aims. And tell me about the players. Where, What kind of housing do they have? What kind of restrictions might they have? Um, are they going to be able to tour? So it's um, it depends on the team. It depends on the team manager. Some team managers are a lot more flexible to let their players uh, get out and relax. Some of them a little bit more. Um, disciplined and want their players to be disciplined and really to focus on training and relaxing most of the time. But you know, most of the players are going to be staying in um, five-star um, hotels. Many of them have opted to take um, accommodation, for example, at the university um, because they're very close to their training sites there. Uh, but the majority are staying in five-star hotels. What's your favorite stadium? Are you allowed to say? Look, everyone. Every <laughs> so the short answer is. I wouldn't like to single one out, but I think each stadium is quite unique in its architecture. Each stadium is unique in speaking about the heritage and the culture and the um, architectural language of, of the region. Um, I generally like the water. I, I like the sea. And uh, 
you know, 974 is by the sea and it's a fun stadium, but you know, all the stadiums are great. If I'm a, a fan coming to Qatar, obviously I'm coming for the World Cup, but what are the, some of the cultural sites or experiences that I shouldn't miss? Look, Qatar is, uh, is big on, on uh, conservation of um, historical buildings. Um, Qatar is very big on museums. And I mean, there's a wide array of museums that I think that they should they shouldn't miss. The old souk, Sugwagif, is a is a is a fun place that has a lot of good food. Um, you can get a real taste of um, what an old bazaar feels like, um, an old souk feels like, and these are quite unique in terms of experiences. Um, but I think, like I said earlier, that there's a lot of things that people can do. And there's, if you're in, just looking for pure entertainment and music, you'll find that. If you're a lover of museums and you want to go see museums and architectural or historical sites, you'll have that as well. You just want to hang out by the beach most of the time and soak up the sun, you've got that. If you're anyway, a foodie, so yeah, if you're a foodie, there's countless and countless of great, great restaurants here. By the way, Sukhwakif is one of my favorite places. Every trip I come, I go at least twice. Okay, good. So you know, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, look, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, you know, I think the U.S. also um, is in a good place to qualify. And um, I think we're going to be expecting a lot of fans from the U.S. I mean, typically the U.S., when, U when USA qualifies, are the biggest ticket purchasers of the World Cup. So if they do qualify, we're going to expect a lot of Americans to come here. Well, I certainly hope so. What's your parting message to the fans? Um, get excited. Whoever team has Whoever's team has qualified, congratulations. Looking forward to seeing you here. If your team is close to qualifying, good luck. If your team hasn't qualified, come here and enjoy the fun. Come here anyway, right? Come here anyway. Thank you so much for joining me. This is very Thank fun. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. Hey, it's Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. What a fun interview that was with Nasser Al-Khattar, the CEO of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. While they still have some work to do to get ready for the FIFA World Cup, to me it sounded and looked like they had things under control. Things are shaping up for what sounds like an incredible fan experience, and it was so cool to get a tour of Stadium 974, walk on the field, take pictures. I took my son Noah with me, and he loved it also. I hope to be doing more episodes on the Middle East, a complicated yet beautiful region with tremendous potential. It's a real bright spot for the future. So please keep listening and tuning in and sharing the podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. You can listen to The Diplomat on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. We've had really a great lineup of guests so far. If you missed any episodes, do scroll back, look for the episodes you missed and listen to them and share them. Don't forget to go to Amazon to order my book in the path of Abraham. If you're interested in the Middle East, Qatar, Israel, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt, the UAE, Bahrain and more, this is the book for you to read. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat brought to you by Newsweek.